0: podcast this week we have more guests and you could shake a soiled peach at garth davis and rudy mara talk about their new movie mary magdalene and then timothy chalamet and army hammer get very silly indeed about call me by your name call me call me call me by your name oh yeah oh my god all that plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast it is also being paid less than matt smith furious Absolutely furious. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you by Rakuten TV, your cinema at home. Yes, Rakuten TV releases Hollywood movies direct to your smart TV or device with no commitments. Just rent or buy your favorite movie whenever you like, wherever you like. You could be on the toilet, you could be in the toilet. Who knows? Uh With the widest 4K HDR film catalogue for smart TVs in Europe. Rakuten TV strives to provide the best audio and image quality, delivering a realistic cinematic experience in the comfort of your own home or someone else's home or a toilet or inside the toilet. It's entirely up to you. Uh, And they are also the sponsors of this weekend's Rakuten TV Empire Awards, which you'll hear more about later in the show. How exciting. Welcome aboard Rakuten TV. Delighted to have you. And before we get on with the show... Sorry about last week's, uh, bit of a snafu, hmm. which meant that for the first time in the pod's history, wasn't happy about this, uh, it was not available on iTunes and other podcast apps until Monday. So many of you uh, will have now switched to other better film podcasts and will now not be listening to this. Uh, it was not our fault. Uh, we switched to a new podcast hosting service a few weeks ago and their systems went down over the weekend. Couldn't be helped. I am reliably informed it will not happen again. But, you know, hey, you know, these things happen, these things happen. But uh, apologies if you're waiting for your podcast at on a Friday evening and you didn't get it. But here's this week's. And this week I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. And this is interesting because last, this week I got a tweet from at I am IamIsaacMartin. And he said, following Mr. Nugent being recast in the latest season of the podcast by Ben Travis, my question is, what are the best and worst examples of actors being recast? I don't know where you got this from, Isaac Martin, but John Nugent has not been replaced by Ben Travis. In fact, they are both here right now. Two voices at once. Holy cow. Wow. Which which one is which? That's trying to assign a voice, uh, a name to a voice. John Nugent, speak now. Hello. That's John Nugent. Uh, Speak a little bit more. So people don't hello, know who hello you are. this
1: is John talking. This is John
0: talking, right. This is, okay. John talking. It, this is helpful for me as well, because even though I'm looking at you, yeah. I, I sometimes forget. I'm a bit yeah. lazy in this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the gentleman to my left is... Hang on a second. Ben.
2: Chris, you see me every day.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> hello. It's Ben... Newton. Travis. Travis, Travis, Ben, Travis, yeah. Ben Nugent, and John no, Travis. No, 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 way around? They're, like, like, sorry. The,
2: like the Britpop band.
0: It's Nugent, Travis, and Ben, John, and they are here, and I'm excited to have both of you. So,
1: who? So, sorry, somebody tweeted to say that.
0: Yeah,
2: Isaac I've Martin. Been I have been recast as you. <laughs> Which I did a lot of preparation for that role. I followed John around for about a week um, without him realising. He's very easy to
0: follow um, around. He, uh, he often wears headphones. He doesn't know that you're behind him. He is, although
2: he does cycle a lot and I don't. So there was a lot of running around London trying to catch up with him on a uh, on a bike, which was difficult. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I really got under the skin of who John is. I've literally um, got under his
0: skin. I've implanted a tracker on John. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't like this conversation. Is this like Zachary <laughs> Quinto meeting Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek? Is this like... Yeah, but you're the old one. You're the really I'm, old one, I'm and I'm the fresh guy. Um, you're the younger, no, more attractive version. It's not, because you you,
0: you are different people, whereas yes. Zachary Quinto yes. and Leonard Nimoy were playing the same person. Now, I realise that Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness are, are difficult films to understand, so I can understand how you might have I you had made no that no idea what was going on, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is because this is you are not the same as as Right. I, that is what I want to say. Yeah. I want to say Ben. It's written on your hand, Chris. Yeah. Ben, 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 and Jeff are not the same person. So, <laughs> although
2: you are about to move to where I live, so now I think you are trying That's right. to usurp me.
0: As of
1: this weekend, we both live in the same area of London. So, wow, that will make things more confusing.
0: You live in the same area. You're going to move to the same area as yes. he's copying me. Yes, Ben, Ben, Ben. ben. Yes, you ben. live in the same yeah. area as Ben. Okay.
2: What, what if on Monday we tried to parent trap the office, where we both turn up wearing each other's clothes, assuming each other's roles, and causing havoc and I mayhem? Mean,
0: you look nothing alike. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I think if <laughs> I just <laughs> wore some
0: glasses, I think I could. Yeah. I could pull it off. I mean, Ben has his hair flicked to uh, to Only the left. We like mirror
2: images of each other.
0: John has his hair, which is rampant. It is it is Heathcliffian in its in its hairiness. <laughs> Uh, this sort of very, very bohemian chic hairstyle on Nugent here. And your hair is flicked to the right. Yes. So, completely different. Ben has glasses. It's like the worst episode of Guess Who ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ben has glasses. John does not have glasses. Do you wear glasses, John? I don't wear glasses. You don't wear glasses. See, he's 2020. they totally this different people. This guy's, this guy's I mean, he's like an Adonis next to They're us. Just... <laughs> us specky nerds. Yeah. <laughs> What's the going? cycling uh, guy. I don't There's know. His fitness. Fitness. Yeah. With yeah.
1: his hair. We're both... Extremely bland white men, you know. There's, mm. there's very <laughs> these are very minute
0: differences. I've long yeah. come to terms with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've got Stubble John as well, uh, and Ben. You are as clean shaven as a baby's bottom. It's Because I can't grow a thing It's is deeply depressing. Yeah, I can't grow a thing either. But I'm, I keep You're giving it a go. I keep, I'm giving it a good, good old go. I'm trying to fill in mm. the bits that I can't fill in. So anyway, but it's it's a delight to have one or both of you on the podcast. And thanks, Chris. Uh, Thank and uh, take that Isaac Martin, who thinks that maybe he got you confused with Phil, who left the podcast. Maybe tra- betrayed us. He was a traitor to the podcast. Maybe he's taking a time out, but I can't remember where he's gone to. So he,
2: <laughs> as long as I'm not one of the
0: worst recastings, I don't mind. No, when we, we, I think we've done this question—the mm. best, worst examples of actors being recast. But uh, no, you're not. You're. Again, you're not recasting him. You're, 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 you're your own person. I am my own person. You're I'll own just keep person. repeating that to myself. All right. Uh, so that's not this week's first question because we've done it before, but it, was, <laughs> it gave us fertile ground to talk about. Uh, but we will have a question, and this question comes from Graham Wright uh, at GNW626, who infuriated me an hour ago by tweeting, is good acting overrated? Everyone loves Arnold, Bruce, Sly, etc., but all are terrible actors. Strap in. Oscar-nominated Sylvester Stallone. Commando star Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) It should have been. (laughs) Golden Globe winning star Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm biased because I grew up with these guys, not in a parental situation. That would have been hilarious. (laughs) No, we, we understood what you meant. But I genuinely think that Bruce Willis... Is a fantastic actor when he can be bothered. Uh, mm-hmm. There are numerous examples over the last few years where he has perhaps not been as motivated to turn in a great performance as he has been in the past. But Die Hard, great performance; mm-hmm. Sixth Sense, great performance; uh, Twelve Monkeys, great performance. I think he should have. Was he not? No, he wasn't Oscar for that. But he should have. He should have been. And you know, goddamn it, maybe he should have even won. That's why I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Seeing the car we listens to Blueberry Hill and he breaks down. That's an amazing mm-hmm. scene. He's great. He's capable of true greatness. And he's also capable of phoning it in from a distance. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think he, he needs to be challenged by a great director. probably no coincidence that the best Bruce Willis performances of the last few years have been when he's hooked up with a really good director like a Johnson. I was gonna say Lou Burr. he yeah. is great in that. Or Wes Anderson from Moonrise mm-hmm. yeah. Kingdom. And he actually gives a shit. And mm-hmm. I think that this is why I'm excited. One of the reasons why I'm excited about A Glass, the, uh, the sequel to Unbreakable. Yeah. Because he's going to be back with M. Light Shyamalan. He's going to be playing with the big names again Sam Jackson and James McAvoy and Anya Taylor Joy. And people are going to be really looking forward to that film. And I think he's going to be a motivated Bruce. That's not something that he was like con- contractually obliged to get involved in necessarily either. That's, <laughs> this
2: is a this is a sequel that has come in. Imagine if it was so.
0: he <laughs> <You laughs> signed on for Breakable Shyamalan 1999, and, the and then he signed, yeah, sure, I'll do a sequel. And then the movie stiffs, and nobody likes it. And comic it book movies—they don't make sequels yeah, what to what those. what is about? And then literally 18 years <laughs> later, someone goes, "Actually, Bruce, remember that sequel you said you would do? You have to do it." And he's like, "Oh, for God's sake!" His superpower is phoning it in. Yeah. Um, but no, I I think
2: that all hopefully really benefit his performance because the fact that that film is happening is still a surprise, I think, to many of us. And hopefully that's something that kind of injects a bit of passion into him. And uh, And we've seen him give a, a great performance for Shyamalan in the past. Yeah. So, uh, so you're yeah, looking forward to that. The, the other thing about this question, some of the other people you mentioned, is yeah. it, it takes uh, the idea of acting as being delivering lines. Like some of these guys give amazing physical performances. You think of someone mm. like Arnie... That he physically embodies the Terminator. I, can you imagine anyone else playing that role?
0: Daniel Day Lewis could not do what Arnie does no. in the Terminator movies, or Predator, or Commando. Mm. I'd like to see it but he couldn't do it Arnie gets a bad rap and he, he can be bad in films and he can struggle especially in the early part of his career you look at movies where he's really struggling to deliver emotion he just can't mm-hmm. do it but he's worked on it mm-hmm. he really has worked on it he's good in the likes of Maggie he was good in The Last Stand some of his post comeback performances have actually been quite good uh, and I'd even go to bat for some of the performances he made back in the day I think I've said in the podcast before but his performance in Predator once once it becomes him versus a Predator mm-hmm. and and he doesn't say anything and he has to communicate everything with his eyes and everything with his body language that's a genuinely good performance and that's sliced alone uh, because one of the dangers with Sly Stallone is that uh, he was typecast by Rocky. Mm-hmm. That Rocky is a genuinely great performance. It is a million miles away from the Sly Stallone of, in real life, who is uh, articulate, funny, witty, uh, doesn't speak like that, doesn't move like that. That is a genuine performance. And, uh, you know, I've said the podcast before, he should have won Best Supporting the Actor for Creed, and it's mm-hmm. a great turn. Uh, he was fantastic in Rocky Balboa. And he got typecast by the performance. So if you hear people doing impressions of Stallone, they're not doing impressions of Stallone, they're doing impressions of Rocky Balboa. Mm-hmm. He can act. And again, he's maybe someone who doesn't always turn it on. He doesn't always have the motivation to turn it on. But my God, when he wants to, he can act. Yeah, in Creed, I mean, I had
1: a at least a manly tear going down my cheek. That was That's oh, the sort of
2: tear he would have wanted.
1: Yeah, exactly. A really muscly tear. He's he's astonishing. He's really, and he's got more range, I think, than people give him credit for. I think because he's always gone for the 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 action hero guys. I think that there are occasional performances where you really see that he's got a bit more distance than just this sort of tough Italian guy. He's 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 really good. I don't I don't I've got to be honest. I don't understand
0: the premise of the question. I kind of get it. I do get it. I get it. I is good acting overrated because because
2: if it's good
1: then. By definition, it's good.
2: Are we yeah. talking of good acting as in, like, sort of very worthy, very people who
0: do all the kind of method stuff? And, and No, I think he means that uh, that most people would consider Arnold and Stallone to be, without really thinking about it, I think, most people would consider them to be bad actors. I'm taking Bruce Willis out of the equation completely because mm-hmm. he's a good actor, trained actor, he, you know, he knows his yeah. stuff. And I think you look at, you know, maybe you would lump in some of the... the 80s action heroes your Dolph Lundgrens your Jean-Claude Van Damme Steven Seagal people like that and go these are not the greatest actors in the world they don't have the toolkit they don't have the Daniel Day-Lewis range of emotions or accents Uh, they can't do that sort of stuff technically they're not that great but we enjoyed their films anyway I think that's what the question is saying the question is asking do we really care ultimately whether people can act Um, I would care if you know we say Daniel D. E. Lewis can't do what Arnie does but I wouldn't want to see Phantom Thread with Arnie in it <laughs> you know I, mean? oh I would the, now yeah. now you yeah. mention it
2: yeah. see where he freaks out yeah. on the dress can you imagine him just destroying
3: want, that mannequin I would like some toast marmalade and sausages two sausages piled high piled high next to a cup of tea
1: I think my favourite line from Phantom Thread is uh, I'm impressed at my
3: own gallantry <laughs> I like a mushroom omelette, <laughs> give me an owl, give me an owl, the omelette. Uh, uh,
2: where do we go from there?
0: I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, but but I, th- I think what you're saying was right, Ben. That uh, you know, I think there's different schools of acting, isn't there? And <laughs> and I, with the people that you listen, I'd put Jackie Chan in that school as well, where he's not really a you know a, a method actor, but he no. but he's got charisma, he's got screen yep. presence. Uh, and he holds a screen and that's that isn't a talent in itself that yeah. I think a lot of people don't have.
0: But anyway, I just wanted to I just wanted to set the record straight. Graham Wright, I appreciate your question, but it angered me. <laughs> on behalf of on behalf of my three screen dads of the nineteen eighties. I just wanted to, <laughs> just yeah, just wanted to get battle. in there. Yeah. Because they, they need it, don't they, these these hmm. great big hulky
1: millionaires. They, they you were to protect them. them. <laughs> Who would be? I can just picture Arnie just like fretting yeah. behind his computer screen. Oh, what 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 are they, what are they talking about? <laughs>
0: Graham Wright.
1: <laughs> That's one of the worst,
0: worst impressions. That was him. extraordinary. If you want to have your question read out the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. You can email us. We're podcast at empireonline.com. You can tweet us as Graham Wright did to his cost uh, where we're at Empire Magazine and you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. And hey, you can Facebook us as well. We're Empire Magazine on that. If you want, do you check Facebook, Ben? Yes. All right. So here's the thing: check Facebook. Okay. Next week, and and find me a question from Facebook.
2: Okay, hit up Facebook with your with your questions and I'll troll. All
0: right. Okay, do that. Uh, okay. Time now for our first guests this week. Call Me by Your Name, which is now out on DVD, Blu-ray, and download, was one of last year's best movies. Loved it. Uh, it even picked up an Oscar for its screenplay by James Ivory. But Luca Guadagnino's film worked for me mainly because of the chemistry. Incredible locations, obviously. Uh, But the chemistry between us two star-crossed lovers Elio and Oliver, played by the Oscar-nommed Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer. Uh, The two became really good friends off-screen, as was evident by their chemistry. uh, In this very silly interview I did with him about six weeks ago. This was before the movie was nominated for BAFTAs and Oscars. But uh, it was a lot of fun. We do... If I recall correctly, I haven't listened back, but we do talk about the movie at some point. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And we started off by discussing the correct pronunciation of Timothy Chalamet's name. I may even begin it wrong now. Who knows? Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the stars of Call Me By Your Name, Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet. How are you?
3: Very Doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having good, us. Good, good, good. Uh, Timothy, did I pronounce your surname right? Because I You I've, know what? Heard- I was really. Very happily surprised there. That was that was a that yeah? was a good pronunciation because I've heard different variations. I've heard yeah. So it's supposed to be Timothy Chalamet, but that has always seemed like too much of a homework assignment. So I don't want to <laughs> be. Uh, I don't want to burden people with that. So All honestly, right. whatever works. Timothy, Tim, Timmy, Doug, Max, Doug, uh, Alistair Timmy Chow okay. meets. <laughs> Ooh, i never heard that. <laughs> yeah.
4: That yeah. sounds
3: like. The whole acting thing works out, and I start a cured meat company.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you, or like the gangster. Who's that? Who's that? Oh, that's Timmy Chalametes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to mess with... Yeah, Timmy, Timmy Two Fingers Chalametes. <laughs> Why Two Fingers? I don't know.
0: But don't
3: they always have funny names? Yeah, that's
0: it's, true. He had three meats that went wrong, and he had the fingers cut off each yeah. time. Uh,
3: that's true. Yeah. In a in a, in a dangerous meat cutting operation. Yeah, yeah
0: you don't uh, want to meet
3: Chalametes. You don't want to do that. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, yes. yes. fucking yes. Chalametes over there.
0: <laughs> You'll have your guy. fingers...
3: Swing pan, too. <laughs> uh, An army. Did I get your name right? Yep. But yep. was Armier.
5: It's, it's Ar- Armier Amer. Armier <laughs> Amer. Yep. Wait. 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 <laughs> but
3: yes. Yeah. So, yes.
0: So clearly, after a year or so, because you've been touring with this film now for a year, uh, pretty much, Sundance was round about this time last year, you're not
5: sick of the sight of each other, which is which is a good thing. No, not sick of the sight of each other. Sick of talking about the movie, but still love being
3: together. <laughs> no, I love being with Army, we uh we we all had uh we we all hung out last night until like midnight with uh, Army and Elizabeth we all three of us yeah, yeah. Yeah,
5: it was yeah, real yeah. rager yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so I, 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 do you want me to talk around the
0: movie
5: should we not talk sure, specifics yeah. about the movie I mean I think that's why they paid for us to come here so we might yeah. as well
0: we should talk about the movie because it's a fantastic movie uh it is it is great but for, before we get into that uh I will say we were talking just before we uh, we started recording here at Army and you said and I don't want you to repeat exactly what you said but Press trips tend to get a bad rap because, you know, you get people like me, idiots, just asking the same question over and over again. (laughs) And that can get a little bit boring for you guys, but there there is an upside to press junkets and yes. to
5: press trips. I mean, what, what what would you say are the upsides? Well, I, you know, we were talking before, and I and I said, you know, th- there are a few things that make these trips really worth it. Uh, you get to spend time with people you love and admire, like like me and Chalamet's, <laughs> and then uh, you get to travel to great locations. You get to stay in amazing hotels. They take you out for excellent dinners, uh-huh. but you know. Pragmatically, the best thing about them, honestly, are the fact that if you are good about sort of putting your mileage number in for all these flights, at the end of it, you have shitloads of Sky Miles. (laughs) I mean, I've done huge press tours. We did a we did a massive press tour for uh, for Man from Uncle several years ago, and we went everywhere multiple times and just sort of like blanketed the planet talking about our movie which didn't quite work for us for some reason. (laughs) But anyway, we traveled all over the place talking about this movie. And I don't think that I paid for a flight afterwards for two years. I was throwing around upgrades like they were jelly beans. Like it was just... It was excellent. You get an
3: upgrade. Yeah. You get an upgrade. I was just picking you get random people from
5: the back of the flight. You, 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 come on up here. You know, uh, cut Who's to. This
3: enormous man yelling at us. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> cut, cut to like, you know, a year and a half after the press tour where you're out of miles and all of a sudden you're at the back of the plane sitting by the bathroom and you're like, man, I wish I had another press tour.
3: <laughs> Cue slow emotional music. Man, and a man comes from the front of the plane and says, many years ago, you upgraded me. And now I'll return the favor. <laughs> oh,
5: dude. That that is not
3: that's well done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: My father was Timmy Chalamet. <laughs> yes,
3: exactly. You were of acted kindness. in a film with my father, Timmy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah.
0: And now I will upgrade you to premium now, economy. I, yeah, yeah, premium yeah, yeah. economy
3: <laughs> of British Airways. You get one free drink. <laughs> you get one free
0: drink. One free drink and two inches of leg room. Mm. <laughs> More so than economy. Uh, Timothy, have you been learning this lesson as you've been going around the, the, the jungle of? this? Here's the thing.
3: This is my first go at all, at all yeah. of this, so it's it's really thrilling and exciting. I'm like almost enjoying every moment of it. It seems like it's a responsibility between Luca and Armie and I for me to be the energizer bunny of sorts sometimes. (laughs) So, uh, no, I've been enjoying it and also what a joy to, you know, be talking about a a film for five months now. And for me, having it be an introduction of sorts, to the world, a movie that we, that we actually believe in. And that is actually by, for all intensive purposes, just at a level of reception and the way people talk about it, like a great movie. So, yeah. um, yeah. so yeah, it's been a gift.
0: So are you quitting
5: now? Is it, is that it?
3: Uh, <laughs> until the sequel, obviously. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna become a recluse. <laughs> it's
5: gonna be like Daniel Day and go make shoes somewhere. He did, he did go make shoes. Yeah, he was a cobbler. He man. did.
0: And now he's retiring. So sad. And then
5: they made the cobbler on Netflix. Yeah, Jay Z retired several times. I'm not sure if I buy this whole retiring
3: business. <laughs> Four forty-four. Yeah.
5: It's probably a good way to get. It's probably a good way to get a bigger paycheck next time. To be honest, I, you know what? I think we should both. Let's all retire. We're all retiring. <laughs> so after we, yeah, movie. We're, reti- we're done. This is our last podcast. This is
0: it. This yep. is it. All right. So the, the value of this podcast has just increased it's massively. It's going to work for all of us. I might that be able to sell be. this for so many air miles. <laughs> yeah. Is that how these things work? I think exactly. that's how these things work. Um, so well, it's sorry to take you back to the film, but we have to, uh, I, I'm really intrigued by, uh, clearly you two guys get on really, really well. And I know that Luca uh, had you come out to Italy for a while and just hang out before filming began. Was that really important in terms of forming this this friendship, because at the same time, uh, Elio and Oliver in the film, they have that sort of, you know, will they, won't they? connection for the first hour or so of the movie so you're not really meant to have that chemistry right
3: away was that was that can, can you talk about meeting beforehand and what that was like for you Well, bro? absolutely I, you know the way i always think about this is and uh, that experience is the greatest teacher and we just spent a, a lot of time with one another mm-hmm. um before the film started so there was that acclamation period we get we got to know one another but i really like that you point out that it's really only halfway through the movie or something that they consummate um it, even in a marginal way, any sort of uh, physical interaction or yeah. they, or do they acknowledge what they're feeling for one another? So and I, I haven't really thought of it that way before, but it's true. Like the f- first portions of the movie are, are supposed to be awkward and kind of felt out anyway. They're not supposed to be totally cut and dry, you know, in a strong direction towards romance or not. It's just supposed to be kind of in that weird area. Mm. And, uh, and certainly in shooting those scenes, whether they became increasingly emotionally intimate or physically intimate by the end it was really like you know we really knew each other so well and we had played out the movie in uh not <laughs> always obviously but <written laughs> in uh, in a lot of similar ways in our in our own experience yeah yeah uh what he said
0: I <laughs> <laughs> with the point with press where we could just go what he said that's, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, yeah I I agree totally. <laughs> I concur
3: it was uh, you know
5: th- th- that was that was one of the great things is that uh, we showed up and the same way the movie has this very relaxed, you know, pace and Mediterranean feel of just like the slow enjoyment of life that that's a big part of what our pre production was like as well. I mean, we definitely had a lot of meetings with Luca and Michael Stuhlbarg and and everybody else who was involved in the film sitting around Luca's table in his place and all that, um, but. The first thing that he really made us do when we all got together, uh, I mean, say we all, but when, when Timmy and I got together in, in Crema was he was like, you two go ride bicycles around. Just, uh, go, go for a couple hours and don't come back and just go ride bicycles. Timmy, show them around. And we did. Yeah. And he showed me, you know, that's, that's a great place to get coffee. That's the gelato shop. That's the pizza shop, blah, blah, blah. So it really was like. Uh, it's sort of like analogously mirrored how the relationship yeah, started in okay. the in the film.
0: Because my, my eye is drawn towards we're in the, we're in a room with the uh, Call Me by Your Name poster, yep. and on there is. A I was wondering what you were looking at. I was just yeah. looking at that because I, I was trying to because my glasses. I've got. I need to get a new prescription. But someone from the Huffington Post says, and I quote: Timothy Chalamet and uh, Army Hammer showcase some of the richest chemistry I've ever witnessed in a movie. It's sublime, and chemistry is not something that you can necessarily. Work on, I think you either have it or you don't. That, do, do, you, do, you, do you find that is that something, or am I completely two
3: re- half vials of iodine mixed with <laughs> Sprite and uh, the alchemy of yeah, movie yeah. making? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So who's Diet
0: Coke and who's Mentos? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, yeah exactly.
3: <laughs> that chemistry could be worked on, but uh, uh, emotional
0: chemistry maybe not. I don't
3: know. Like it seems honestly, we'll ne- we'll never know. And I, I'm sure if we knew the kind of reception we were going to get for this movie, we would not have been able to make it the same way because, I was certainly speaking for myself, I would have been shaking through every All shot. Right. But right. um no, I mean, it was very much, I mean, that that really is a, a portion of it was the idea that I was out there a month and a half early. We shot on one lens, on one camera. So we almost lost an awareness of the camera. We were shooting in Lucas' hometown with his production company, with his crew that he's worked for for 25 years, worked with rather. So it just felt like stepping into it. And more than anything, I think it was really just the random luck of the universe and yeah. that that we just hit it off and uh, in creative relationships, but just in relationships in life too. I mean, sometimes you're at a party. Actually, this can be more artificial than anything. In fact, I've seen memes that describe this phenomena, but like if you're at a party and all of a sudden you're like, man, that is my best friend in the world. You just, you just met <laughs> someone. You know, then, Drunk and, love. Yeah. I, know. I love you so <laughs>
5: much. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you never, you never know. Uh You, you can always, you, I mean, I guess when I say you can always, it's always your job as an actor, even if you don't have it to try to summon some level of chemistry. And if you can't even do that, then you got to fake it. You yeah, know, and I think yeah. every actor has been in a, a position where they've really just felt like they got to fake it. Yeah. But in this case, you know, we really just, we hit it off and we, we, we became really close and we like an actual friendship kind of. It's weird to talk about like sitting right next to him, but like <laughs> we just we just became we became great great friends, and that is yet another reason why this press tour has been so fun because yeah. in a way they're paying us to just hang out with each other, which is fine.
0: That's all right. That's okay. Yeah. Is there a, is there a WhatsApp group? I mean,
5: there
3: there's is a it. WhatsApp group because Luca. Why is Luca so passionate about WhatsApp? Maybe so, they so throw like- the
5: him so you don't pay all the like oh, yours, you know.
3: I thought I figured maybe. <laughs> I figured maybe yeah. they threw him like 50 euros a month or something. To
5: <laughs> No, no. He, I don't think he's sponsored by WhatsApp. I think that uh, that he's just cheap.
6: <laughs>
0: so, you know, so there is a WhatsApp group. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, look, I, I spoke to Luca just before we, uh, we came in here and he said that obviously he filmed the movie as much as he could chronologically. Mm. So there are moments, for example, that, that scene towards the end between yourself and Michael Stuhlbarg where that sense of melancholy that that permeates the scene is is real because you were sad about the, the end
3: of the movie. You were, you were sad about going home. Uh, so I presume, is, is that the case? And, and it's then, absolutely the case. Yeah. And, you know, we shot that scene three days from concluding the movie. The only days we had left to shoot were in Bergamo, which was a little bit out of sequence because it comes, obviously, before that scene, yeah. but it's towards the end of the movie. And, uh, and then the scene I shot right after the scene with Michael Stuhlbarg by the fire... Uh, is, it, is the scene by the fire, the last scene in the movie. So, yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah. It was like the, the movie has so much to do with nostalgia, I feel. And I, I, I feel like a nostalgist and I know Luca is. And, uh, and it just seemed like, a, um, a gift to shoot in chronological order and that the story requires that at the end of the, you know, movie, Elio is in a place of, uh, of, uh, uh, heart-wrenching nostalgia for mm. Oliver and for the experience of the summer. So like you said, it was just playing out what we were, what, what we were actually feeling and, uh, and, and hoping for the best. So you, you hadn't gone by that point
0: in army, because you were presumably still around for the Bergamo sequences mm. at that point. Okay. Yeah. So
3: but what what was that
0: experience like for you as you got towards the end of this, at the, as the end of this movie and it started to loom large for you.
5: It's funny, man, everybody, everybody reacted strongly, uh, you know because it was such an emotional experience um it was such a intense <laughs> it, it was just it was such an intense all encompassing experience for for all of us that that as it started to end everyone started to react like um i started to fight with luca a bunch about weird shit that, like, didn't even make sense. And then, like, we weren't speaking My to each toenails!
3: other. My toenails! <laughs> My toenails! What are you talking about this toenail? My toenails! Yeah,
5: Luca, calm down about your toenails. <laughs> uh, we, like, Luca and I started to fight, and then we weren't speaking to each other. And then, like, at first I was like, what is going on? Like, this is so weird. And then, like, and then we both kind of realized that it was that neither of us wanted the experience to end. Yeah. Like, we were all so ingrained in what was going on that that the idea of it ending seemed cataclysmic almost yeah and then and then you know like we we like we realized what it was and then like you know got over it and everybody just had really intense emotional journeys you know i mean everybody everybody had an emotional process and like their own hero's journey to borrow a term from joseph campbell you know i mean it, it was a it was a it was an amazing all encompassing experience. And when it was ending, it was really, I mean, I was sad. I was, I was genuinely sad. And I mean, not just because I had to go back to the real world and leave this sort of Italian idyllic countryside, but because I knew that I was done working on this and I, and I felt like I was learning so much about myself. And I felt like I was learning so much about myself as an artist through this process that I didn't want it to end, you know, I but think the, I think these experiences are really once in a lifetime kinds of things. So I think yeah. it's natural that we all wanted to kind of drag it out a little bit.
0: But that must have lent the uh, the, the sequences in, in Bergamo a certain poignancy uh, as yeah. well for the both for the both of you because you know the, this is it, which absolutely figures into the relationship in in the film. Mm.
3: Absolutely, yeah, and and conversely to what I guess we're saying, there is a real element as it's true to the relationship in the story at that point, too, of joy and of. Of wanting to seize a last moment of joy and uh, and and savoring the last seconds, the characters had together, and then we all had together off, off camera.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, so presumably, you were physically on set for the phone call scene. Yeah, I was in a different room, but different I was room. on. I was in the house.
0: Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but, but I, I know from speaking to actors in the past, that's hugely helpful having someone
3: actually on the other end of the line. Absolutely, at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's- I can't imagine what it would have been to. I don't know if I don't
5: know if, if I was just right off camera with yeah, my sides right camera, like,
3: yeah. and then what? And, and yeah. Then yeah. He, well, he's here. He's not even gone yet. <laughs> or just no, a key grip. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. The first well, AD. That's what I was going to yeah. say is I don't know what the alternative would be is either, I guess, to pre-record the lines, which really seems yeah, yeah, like yeah. almost impossible to do or to act opposite of, or you read it with a... Uh, and and like an assistant director there's a great video online of ed harris shooting the rock oh my god and you know a video i'm talking about and it's exactly that where poor guy it's like all exposition in the scene and there really isn't it's all and he's just trying to communicate information to the audience but he has to do it directly to the camera and it's all like coordinates battlefield coordinates and he's doing it with an ad and you can see he's like He's having again. You can hear Michael Bay off camera, like chastising him, and and he's really struggling with it. And then at one point, the AD reads a line a certain way that's funny or something, and he's really serious. He goes, "Come on!" And he's like, why are, you, "Why are you reading it like that?" Like, and then but then he's you know he's doing the thing I think all actors do. but You're, you're not getting it, so you're getting frustrated with yourself. You you're, you're just smashing things and like, but then he's also laughing. It's really a great video, and I think I think any and all actors can really sympathize with that because. Yeah. We've all been in a scenario where, like, I don't know, it's like hour 11 of the day or something. And anyhow, <laughs> great actor.
0: Have you seen also there's a great outtake with Sean Connery? Uh, from no, the, I from haven't. The, the same movie. Uh, I may cut this out because of language, but it's uh, so earmuffs in a second. But uh, he's trying to work with an elevator door and it won't close. And so Sean Connery's pressing the button fr- frantically and then
5: just simply yells, close, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: you got to keep that in there because it's a pretty decent Connery too oh thanks man thank yeah. you yeah yeah. i do pretty mobsters decent. and Sean Connery that's all I can do there you go. Uh, a pretty decent Connery <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time you said that army that would be <laughs> such a rich man <laughs> alright well we got to have a Connery off can you do Connery I can't I can't come on I couldn't Everyone even try Connery. I couldn't even try listen he wasn't even my bond it was Daniel Craig I, I you know I grew up with Daniel Craig that's my bond okay alright and, and, and a Daniel Craig James Bond impression is this <laughs> insane for the purpose of a podcast it, it, yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't really doesn't make, entirely work for it doesn't work for a podcast yeah. but yeah I can I also good.
5: take a moment because I I do love listening to podcasts and every time I'm listening to a podcast I'm like where are these people? Like what's going on? What's the environment? Do you a ever... submarine? We're in a submarine. Yeah, we are in a nuclear submarine <laughs> two hundred feet below the No, we're we're in a hotel room. They've removed all of the furniture from the hotel room. We're yeah. Timmy and I are in chairs. Chris is on a couch in the in sort of like the middle of the room. Uh, and we're in the middle of London, and we're now in the middle of a press tour. So that's yeah. your context.
3: That's like, it's your floating context. Floating yeah. blue ball over there. Do you guys see that, or is that just me? <laughs> well, I think no, you might be uh, having uh, a story. Yeah, no, oh, I, I, sure. I can see. Yeah. You can see that, right? There's two like, yeah. Yeah, stuffed,
0: stuffed bears in the yeah. wall. Okay. God, I'll
5: have what you guys are having.
3: <laughs> it's true. I love podcasts, too, and I'm feeling like I have to seize this moment to say something like you said, Army, but I have, nothing, yeah. I have nothing to add to that. What's up, Sam Harris?
5: What's up?
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> is, that, is that a famous podcast? Uh, Oh, yeah.
5: Waking up Sam Harris is excellent. Oh, thanks. Sorry, no offense. Sorry, Empire. Yeah, you're, you're po- oh, by the way, I listen to your podcast. You're well done.
0: Uh, Army. do you do a Sean Connery? And do, or do you do any James Bond impressions? Oh, you
5: know what? I, I actually, can't, like, I would need, I, I do like to do a Sean Connery, but like, it's been so long since I've even heard his voice. I would need like, I would need a two-second impression. just pressure. did. I just did it. Yeah. Just, and it was amazing.
3: He became Sean Connery in front of your very eyes.
5: Sean Connery. I think there's a bit of Sean Connery in us all. No, that's not very good. is I I'll, I'll have to that's work on good. it. I'll have to work on it. Yeah, I'll have to work on it. I'll work it on it next.
3: day. or were we got to... Uh, we were, wait, what was it? You're trying to do a Spanish accent. And and it came out, out totally Italian. But actually, Army is exquisitely talented with accents. And there's no hyperbole there. I okay. have real... Like, that is a... That is a talent in and of itself. I have a good friend in New York too. His name's Cody. Like we went to high school together, and he can just hear someone speak and inst- watch Man from. Well, I don't know if you watch Man from Uncle, his accent in that is insane. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's so good. good. it's good.
0: Yeah. And you said earlier on that uh, that the the presser hadn't worked for that film, but I'm not so sure that's the case because it seems to be it's 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 rising up.
5: That it's you know what's really funny uh, is that film and. Lone Ranger are the ones that people come up to me. I mean, I mean, obviously there's like, you know, the social network stuff was, was big. And now it's kind of like petered off every now and then someone would be like, Oh, where's your brother? And I'm like, Oh my God, that is an old ass joke. Uh,
3: <laughs> where's <is> your brother? <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, you dummy. Just, just uh, I'm going to take that question off my list. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, he's sliding a pencil for, <laughs> for, for <laughs> no, context yeah. of the podcast. He did actually cross the no, question okay. off a list. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but yeah, Lone Ranger Lone Ranger people come up to me and they go, man, I don't know why everyone hated that movie. I liked it. And I'm like, okay, there's a compliment in there somewhere, I think. <laughs> it but was then, Quentin
3: Tarantino's favorite movie that year. Yeah, yeah. Was, was it, really? it? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Oh my gosh. I hope that's true. Uh-oh. Yeah. Man, I'm going to kill my cousin it's Haskell. Fine. If that's not true. <laughs> it's <laughs> Haskell,
5: you son of a bitch. Uh, oh, this has really gotten like R-rated, this podcast. But but yeah, uh, Man From U.N.C.L.E. is another one where people are always like, what are you doing a sequel? What are you doing a sequel? So, so are you a man are from you,
3: uncle with two E's? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: man from uncle, e.
3: uncle, uncle, uncle armier <laughs> hammer. And <Army> a. A. <laughs> uncle
0: a. I do have to ask about sequels, in fact. Uh, and I was gonna ask about the sequel to Lis, because Lucas talked about it and has he
3: talked to you about it? I do think you, the only question they make? have left is if because I think they have pretty much mapped it out if they, if they want to maybe do it in space or if they want to do it underwater, right? Yeah, so we gotta figure yeah. that out. Yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, o- Oliver goes on to become the president of the United States. And Elio, weirdly enough, even though he's not even Russian, becomes a KGB assassin. <laughs> right. And that, yeah, it's it's very funny. But then, but then there's the space invasion.
3: There's space invasion. Yeah, that's um, that's uh, p- prequel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you've, you've just pitched my film of 2022. There I think this is this is, yeah. is
3: going to be absolutely huge. Like 2022. That's very specific. Well, I think you got to give us some that's time. I, and yeah, And in all, like in all seriousness. There's, I I would love, I mean, that's all up to Luca. It's his vision. It's his, it'd be his story. And I totally agree. I don't think it'd be anytime soon. I think it would be. Yeah. Uh, At least a couple of years away.
0: And uh, I have to ask, would the peach come back? Is is the peach making big demands? His own trailer? Like uh, $20 million? Oliver
5: and Elio floating in space. The peach actually had a baby. So now there's like a bunch of (laughs) apricot, half human, half peaches running around.
3: (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so strange to think about. That Uh, is so
5: weird.
0: You know how the internet works. Oh yeah. So this is going to be the story. This is going to be on some website. Yep. Very very soon. Bunch of pumens.
6: <laughs> <Pumans. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right,
0: so I gotta let you guys go, but um, uh, I will ask one last thing, just to give people some context on me. That we're in a hotel room in London, and there's a Call Me By Your Name poster over there, yep. and some weird shit in the walls that I, just, I'm maybe hallucinating.
5: I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> You are wearing a tracksuit. I'm wearing a full tracksuit.
0: You were wearing a full tracksuit yep. with hotel room slippers on.
5: Yeah. Well, you know, it, that's the joy of a podcast. There's no pictures. So I thought I might as well leisure the shit out of the experience. Uh, so I am in a full uh, tracksuit. By the way, let me to add even more context. This is a custom tracksuit that uh-huh. Pharrell designed. Uh, so oh, you've you got one too. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like the tuxedo version of a tracksuit. So it's actually pretty fancy.
3: There's writing yeah. on the back.
5: There is writing on the back.
0: All right. On that note, uh, Timothy, you don't have a tracksuit, but that's, yeah, you know, it's all No, good. I'm it's wearing
3: all fine. black jeans because I'm um, boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm wearing a jumper, dude. I can't, you know, I can't talk. But anyway, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you. Nice uh, to to fantastic. You Army Hammer. Timmy Two Finger Chalamets. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been great. So you a 2022. Timmy Two Finger
3: Sweet Tea Chalamets. <laughs> sweet Tea Chalamets. <laughs> I would not want to mess with that guy.
5: I'll show yeah. you, so, she- so, you know if there's a gangster who's got sweet in his name? He is not sweet. <laughs> yes. Like that is a mean is the rule. son of a bitch.
0: Actually, Sean Connery could play the Peach. The uh, in the sequel, the Space Peach, the Puman, <sighs> the the Peach that fights back. Yeah, that would yeah. be amazing. I'm a Peach. I'm the Peach. <laughs> On that bombshell. Thanks, guys. See you who is this person who is defending me on a podcast? What is the podcast? <laughs> Let me look at a picture of him. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. What? He can't even got a beard. He cannot even fill in the hair between the ears. Give me two sausages! <laughs> I want I <a> mushroom omelet! <laughs> that was Army Hammer and Timmy Chellymates. Now it's time for this week's so weird that arnie would come in here and do that (laughs) so weird you got him such last minute honestly he just he was in town
2: army and arnie yeah on the same podcast (laughs)
0: that'd be amazing wouldn't
2: it you summoned him with the arnie hammer
0: i did i did uh right should we talk about some movie news yes what's Mm -hmm. what's, been happening okay
1: i've got something i've got something big something very big Ooh, um, well. Steady. Steady, <laughs> okay, steady. We're not getting that blue just yet. Okay. Uh, li- I don't think either of you will know this because it's only just happened. Jeff Bridges. No. Uh, what? I was just trying uh, to guess what, what it was. Uh, no, this is somewhat more exciting. There will be an Affinity War trailer tomorrow. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Chris is off. Oh, my God. Marvel have just tweeted trailer tomorrow. <sighs> As We record, we're recording on Thursday, so when you're listening now, you've probably already seen it. Oh, my
2: word! So jealous of all you future people who have seen the trailer. So, should we take over for a little bit?
0: <laughs> I think we might, I think we might this need is, to. I genuinely have spilled water, and then I, yeah. I water. should, I should say, <laughs> Wow, that's really bad
1: timing, isn't it? Yep. so. We're going to be talking about something that everyone knows about and we don't.
0: Should we just sort of speculate wildly? I was surprised that Thor's new hammer was Timmy Mallet. Yes. Uh, I, I was a little surprised <laughs> me by that. too. When he picks him up and flings him at Thanos, uh, it, it, it shocked me.
1: Yes, that yeah. was
0: a surprise. Yeah. Uh, I
1: wasn't
2: expecting Howard the Duck to play such a big role. <laughs> no.
0: No, I imagine he might.
2: You never know. Oh, well, um, the soul stone will be hidden in that giant sandwich that Guillermo del Toro was <laughs> carrying at
0: the Oscars. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, that's good news. That's that's good to know. Because uh, there actually has been some news that we can talk about. That's pretty cool. I'm now looking at my schedule over the next couple of days because we kind of made a rod for our own backs by doing a <laughs> trailer breakdown for the last one. A try to break down podcast for the last one. And I'm not sure we have the time to do it this time around. Which some people will be okay with, that's mm-hmm. fine, you know, because, mm. you know, Marvel, Marvel this, Marvel that. But I do wonder if we should. Also, where's Helen? Where's Helen? Where is she? Is she in Iceland? I'm she's gonna, still there. Uh, I'm going to text her about something. I'm going to text her and see if she's around and see if we can do this. And in the meantime, you talk about something else. I'm going to take this opportunity
2: uh, as the resident Harry Potter person to talk about the Fantastic Beasts trailer that dropped uh. this week it <laughs> john it's good we are sitting in a room that says magic everywhere and it is magical and the trailer i think looks very good uh i say this as as uh, somebody who uh, actually really liked fantastic beasts the first one there this was a surprisingly like full trailer uh, for the film uh, so there were some big things that we got to see uh especially it opens up with a shot that that touched my heart. Getting to see Hogwarts again—only, only the second movie into the prequels—but just seeing that castle, that absolutely did it for me. That haven't, haven't you seen Hogwarts in like eight other films, though? I mean, you <laughs> can just
0: get your Blu-rays out. <laughs> and I will, I really will. This but, was, this was from a different angle. It was from uh, a different angle. It was from a slightly higher angle. The sun was at a different position in the sky, so uh, okay. I could see.
2: It, it was it was a, an easy shot to hook people in, but it definitely got me. Um, and then once we go into the castle, we get to see Jude Law's young Dumbledore. And I, mm-hmm. I was excited by that casting first time around. I think, I think he was a really good shout for it. And we got to hear him speak for the first time. And kind of appropriately, really, he, he does have a bit of a sort of young Gambon sort of voice about him so we saw quite a lot of um different locations for this so the first one was set in new york this one uh, is going to have a bit of new york but also quite a lot of stuff Uh, in london Mm -hmm. so we saw some shots of london and uh paris as well and one things we see is a uh, sort of big parisian circus um that i believe credence who is ezra miller's character uh is kind of going to run away with this french circus where he meets another uh, not an obscurial like him but some other kind of like powerful young magical
0: lady right okay um it seems like he can control his powers now so is is he going to be a bad guy this time around cuz the last in the, the, the last movie he was he was misunderstood and being manipulated wasn't yeah. he, by by grindelwald that rotter yes yeah. so
2: it kind of remains to be seen this time whether he will have made some kind of conscious choice of what side he's on a big part of it, the thing in in the last film was that he he couldn't control himself from the kind of Abuse that he was that he was suffering. Mm. He couldn't control his powers. He didn't know how powerful he was, mm. uh, and it was a sort of Hulk thing that he would kind of it would take over him, and he would wake up and there'd be mass destruction that he didn't even know he'd caused. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to see that maybe a part of his journey in this will be learning to control that, and part of that may be picking aside. You mentioned obviously Grindelwald, who's in the title of the film. Purely from a design perspective, the one shot that we actually see of Grindelwald in this trailer. Was a massive improvement from his first appearance at the end of Fantastic Beast. Sorry, yeah. minor spoiler alert. Uh, they have changed up his look in the shot that we see. It reminds me a lot of the shot of um, the sort of mugshot of Sirius Black in Prisoner of Azkaban. He looks really disheveled. His hair is down in
0: long, scraggly curtains. He looks like he's been on the run. He was captured at the end of the last he film, was wasn't he? was captured at the end of the last film. Yeah. So, presumably he's, presumably he's in custody. Uh, John, where do you stand on Newt Scamander and his? Band of Merry Beasts or whatever they're called. That's yeah, rubbish. That's my take. Um, That's my hot take. I mean, I'm largely with you on that. I thought the first film was <laughs> not good. Uh, I would say that this trailer, in its entirety, is better than the first film. So it has. Yeah. Uh, it is getting me back on board slightly. I think. Um, I think young Dumbledore playing Jude Law or is Dumbledore it the way around? Looks good. Dumbledore looks mm. good. Uh, you could a cynic might go that they're they're slowly going. It's Harry Potter. Look, mm-hmm. it's Harry Potter world. Come back. It does seem
2: like Newt will hopefully have a bit more of an active role this time. He was quite a passive character last time that things were just happening around him and he was trying to just fix them as they happened. Uh, So the last thing we see in the trailer is him and his brother, who was a new character, uh, seemingly casting some big sort of Protective spell, so it seems like hopefully he might have a more action-packed role and take, uh, get involved in some sort of wizard combat and duels
0: and that well, kind of thing. Let's hope so. Uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and our eyes in the skies for more Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. So, some more casting news and some more uh, directorial news to come as well. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in last week's show that Danny Boyle has now confirmed that he will direct Bond 25. Mm. Later in the year, he's going to direct another movie beforehand. I think this is a really good fit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm much more excited about Danny Boyle directing this movie than I am about any of the names I've seen banded around before. And this is no disrespect to the likes of Jan Martel. I'm not sure if this was brought up in a previous podcast, but um, Nick
1: noticed that Danny Ball did a web chat with Empire years ago and somebody asked him directly, would you like to do Bond? And he said, no, I'm not interested in that franchise. So I'm really curious to see what's changed. Like There must be some really interesting idea that they've got with with John Hodge that's made him change his mind. Because he, it, he's, no, he's, never really, he's never really done action, like straightforward action. I mean, a lot of his films are very have a lot of action in them if that makes sense like yeah. they're very active they're very mm-hmm. he's obviously mm-hmm. very kinetic filmmaker yeah he's he's got you know his films have, have a lot of pace and and, and excitement but mm-hmm. I, i'd hesitate to say he's made a like a straightforward action movie with guns and shooting and Bombs and
0: explosions. I mean, the closest he's come is Steve Jobs, uh, but <laughs> otherwise, you're absolutely right. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire, no, 127 Hours, a big action set piece is a bloke chopping off his own arms. Mm-hmm. Border alert. 20 days later is possibly the closest. Yeah, uh, maybe even a Life Less Ordinary, which does have shootouts, uh, shallow graves, as, as what I would say are action sequences, but certainly nothing on the scale of a Bond. But he is a fantastic director, Danny Boyle. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if the script is on point, what we might get here is a level of visual invention Mm -hmm. that we haven't seen in the Bond movie. Sam Mendes tried, I think, and he worked with two really good uh, DPs as well on Spectre and Skyfall. But one of the issues, you know, I think a lot of us have had over the years with Bond is that... uh, for all of its signature traits, it lacks visual pizzazz. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many great shots you can talk about from a James Bond film. And I'd imagine that Danny Boyle would change all that.
2: It strikes me um, when you look at Daniel Craig's set of Bond films that <clears throat> I think part of what really interests him as a character, or as an actor, sorry, in this franchise is the opportunity to reinvent it. Because you look and Casino Royale was a reinvention of James Bond. Even from jumping from that to Skyfall, that was another reinvention in the middle of his run. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, uh, I wonder if that's partly what appeals to him to return for one last time because Danny Boyle doing a Bond film will undeniably be different to any other Bond film that's come before it. I think as well, even, uh, even despite what Danny Boyle said, um, this is still dependent on the, the idea that he has come up with with his kind of regular screenwriter, John Hodge, uh, that they have proposed uh, and got the kind of thumbs up from, uh, from the Bond producer team. It will leave us with more uh, Danny Boyle impressions
1: from Chris, though. So, oh my God. you know, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Maybe. We oh, shall didn't rise to the bait. No. It didn't rise. No. Anything else really quickly? I have some news. Uh, Taika Watiti is Hitler. <laughs> um, I, can, I can elaborate. Please do. No, for I, d- I, don't want to. I don't want no. <laughs> Just, There you go. Uh, Taika Watiti will be playing an imaginary version of Adolf Hitler in his next film. This is a film I believe he is directing as well, called Jojo Rabbit. Um, and this will be his next film. There's been a lot of speculation over what he would direct next. I think he was talking about doing a, an a animated film about bubbles, the uh, the Michael Jackson monkey. Mm-hmm. There was also some rumors he was going to direct Akira. but it looks like this one is is happening. It's going to be filming in May. It's called Jojo Rabbit. It's a script that's been floating around for a while, um, and it's a very strange sounding story. Uh, it's a bit sort of so it centres around a ten year old boy. Uh, who's in Nazi Germany and he's nationalistic and a little bit confused by Nazi propaganda and he imagines Hitler. Um, what
2: is his sort of like imaginary friends?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he, but he's sort of crossed with his own father. It's, a, it's he imagines a figure who is a combination of his father and the Fuhrer.
2: This just sounds like good kind of territory for him. It, it reminds me a bit of, of the premise of Boy.
1: Yes, where uh, yeah.
2: which was obviously New Zealand set, um, but about a young boy in new zealand whose dad was in jail and he imagined him as some kind of like action hero slash michael jackson impersonator slash uh kind of that with this heroic image of his dad that he doesn't necessarily speak to this sort of imaginary version but uh you see various incarnations of him uh that that just don't live up to to who his dad really is so that sounds like kind of good territory for for Taika.
1: and you know i in the in the uh, press release that they they want to make it clear that it's not a sympathetic depiction of Hitler that it's mm. it's not like you know actual
2: Hitler and He's fine and don't worry about it. And I guess if the perspective is a 10 year old boy who has been brought up in this system right. that is blasting that propaganda at him, it's is a character who doesn't understand the implications of exactly. what that means. And I imagine over the course of the film, will come to be disillusioned by by what he sees all around him. You'd, you'd hope. I, I mean, really so. <laughs> that would be a mad, mad If, if it concludes Tycho that Ad- Adolf
1: was actually had the right <laughs> idea, then maybe something's is, gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. But we have faith in Taika. He's, uh, he is a really inter- interesting and exciting director to watch, so fingers crossed for Jojo Rabbit.
2: Last one uh, from other exciting directors, uh, quick bit on Denny Villeneuve's Dune, uh, which uh, appears to be what he is now forging ahead with after Blade Runner 2049, and if people weren't going to go and sit through three hours of Blade Runner, uh, he is now going to present a double film worth of Dune. Uh, so it 's unclear from the reports at the moment whether it 's going to be just the first book in the series or whether it 's going to uh, span the entire sort of trilogy, uh, which I believe it's a story that um, that does kind of require that trilogy to to feel complete. But um, either way, it seems like he's planning two films that he says will take him about two years to complete. So we might have to wait a little while for it. But he is absolutely not done with uh, lengthy, ambitious, visually engaging sci fi stuff. I'm really excited mm. to see what that turns out to be.
0: And know uh, we should talk as well about the Rakuten TV Empire Awards, which happen this Sunday. Some of you will, they'll take place by the time that some of you will be listening to this. But it's a very exciting show. It's a very exciting lineup of talent. I can't say everyone who's going to be there but we can say one name that will be there uh, sir Stephen of spielberg uh, Signor senior spielbergo himself will be there he is receiving an award the legend of our lifetime award and uh, i think he deserves it i think he, uh, he's done a couple of decent films he's yeah, got a few good ones in on there. balance yeah, sort of a spunky up-and-comer mm-hmm, i yeah. think yeah it could be could be interesting so I he's going to
1: be there this is the thing that will really set his career in the right
0: direction you know I think I think it could Yeah, it could this is the Philip that his career needs it's the validation that he's always yeah. uh, wanted yeah. legend of our lifetime much deserved no other director has had more cover films uh, on Empire than Steven Spielberg and of course the issue that's still on sale right now is Curated by Steven Spielberg. It's our oh, hashtag certain. Spielberg yeah. takeover. Hash, hashtag Spielberg takeover, indeed. Lots of great content. They're still on sale now, and all good and evil news agents. If you want to pick up a copy, but I'm very excited about that. I'm co-hosted again with uh, our editor in chief Terry White. And um, am I shit in my pants? Yeah, you bet your bottom dollar I am. <laughs> but it'll all be a lot of fun. And uh, Benjamin, you can tell people about the incredible coverage they can expect on EmpireOnline.com.
2: Yeah, if you want to uh, follow online, uh, we're going to be live blogging it. We're going to be um, we're going to have loads of pictures from the red carpet. We're going to be live tweeting it as well. So if you go to www. empire online. Com, that's the one. On Sunday, we'll be uh, starting the live blog. I'm going to pull a random time out of the air and say maybe about five, six o'clock. We'll we'll tweet closer to the time.
0: Good. you live you can be live-tweeting the... Uh, I am live-blogging. We've you're got live blogging? Uh,
2: uh, another colleague doing live-tweets. Okay. Live tweets. okay. Uh, yes, I follow along.
0: Okay. Can you, um, can you actually include some of my jokes this year? Because um, last year's coverage ignored the opening, in the intro completely. And, you know, I, it's fine. I get it. But I work hard in that script. Fuckers. It will be wall-to-wall jokes. Good. I need to put some in then. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, time now for our second guests on this week's podcast. Before we get into the reviews, Rooney Mara and Garth Davis. For it is they have teamed up before on the big screen to, to tear jerking effect in Lion. And now they're back, back, back with Mary Magdalene, which is about Jesus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, but as seen from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, played by Rooney Mara. Uh, And our own Ben here went along to talk to Garth Davis and Rooney Mara. And this was recorded, let's be completely honest here, this was recorded due to, again, another snafu Mm
6: -hmm.
0: on Ben's iPhone, right? Hey, if it's good enough for Soderbergh, then I really hope
2: it's good enough for the Empire podcast, and
4: I apologise. So
0: if there's a slight... uh, discrepancy with the sound quality, you know, Then it's, it's totally fine. It's fine. It's to- it's, t- fi- it's fine. We're good. We're good, okay. we're good to go. Enjoy. Okay. <laughs> enjoy. Garth oh Davis God. and Rooney Mara. <laughs> okay, enjoy.
2: Yeah, uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast uh, by the director of Mary Magdalene, Garth Davis, and its star, Rooney Mara. How are you guys doing?
6: Good. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank,
2: yeah, you. thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Um, so I guess to start the interview off, for some of our uh, listeners who may not know, who was Mary Magdalene? How has she been kind of traditionally viewed through history, and what sort of portrayal did you want to give uh, in this film?
6: Garth, you did this really well yesterday. So I'm did gonna- I? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> a really uh, good little
4: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we've. I think. Um, you know, everybody kind of understands. well, popular culture sees Mary as a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And um, when when we read the script, um, you know, there's this amazing revelation that she wasn't. She was actually a spiritual leader in her own right. Um, and, uh, you know, I was completely shocked that her story hadn't been mm-hmm. told. So, you know, this film um, basically, I think for the first time in, in a long time, 2,000 years, um, actually, uh, you know, tells her story.
2: You guys worked together on Lion a couple of years ago. Um, how long after Lion uh, did you come across Mary Magdalene? Did you immediately think of, of Rooney for the part? Um, and uh, when did you first hear about the part and the script?
6: Um, I think it was pretty soon after Lion, like very soon, maybe only several months maybe, right?
4: Yeah, I was literally um, still finishing Lion and mm-hmm. then my produce, the producers of Lion, Ian and Emil, they said, we've got another film for you, check it out. And I read... I read it and it was just so spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I did send a little wish and into, into the air to work with Rooney because I just think she's a spectacular actress. And uh, all my prayers came true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now,
2: what did you think when you
4: first heard about the project and when you first thought about the, the chance
6: well, to play Mary Magdalene? he sent me the email, what do you think about Mary Magdalene? And I was like, oh, God, no. Because I knew I really wanted to work with him and I mm-hmm. knew that we were going to work together again. Just had a feeling about it. Um... And I was pretty hesitant at first when he when he brought it up to me, but um you know then we he flew to l a kind of soon thereafter, and we talked about it and yeah, I was, mm-hmm. I was into it
2: after uh, that. yeah, what stood out about the part and about the, the chance to play this kind of historical figure who's been m- maligned
6: well, it was that i was I was really shocked to learn what her true story was and mm-hmm. just what an incredible figure she was and I also just thought it was really special to sort of um make a film in this time period, um, you know, with all this, the, the things that we're very familiar with, but through the lens of a female, you mm. know, we've never really seen that. And I thought that was also really special.
2: I, I wanted to ask about, um, I absolutely love the opening scene of the film It's really beautifully shot, uh, where you've got this scene of of Mary kind of sinking really, really deep looking <laughs> into, into the water. Um, can you tell me a little bit about filming that and about um, that as the way into the film for the audience?
4: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a way of visualizing Mary's spiritual question, mm-hmm. you know, or the place that she goes to when she's trying to understand her spiritual calling. So it's a visual interpretation of that. Um, and what I love about the imagery is that it, you kind of understand it as being underwater, but it could also be like, it, it goes beyond time and space, that imagery. And um, it, it, it has a feeling like we're she's kind of moving through different dimensions. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a metaphorical um, visualization.
2: And what was that like to
4: shoot for you?
6: Well, um, they actually shot that before I even got there. Mm-hmm.
4: So it's not, it's it not really... A, it was like Ooh, a
6: professional wow. underwater... Okay.
4: Oh, yeah. Fantastic. No, we, we, uh, we, sh- we, shot, we shot that in Nice with, um, her name is Jules, and she's, mm-hmm. um, I think she at one point was one of the world champion freedivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just had... she has this amazing ability just to go to the depths
2: wow. <laughs>
4: without any oxygen and um so yeah I was, it was just so graceful and mm-hmm. amazing to watch these people do that and coincidentally she looked just like rooney yeah. and we, we do see you
2: get into the water in some of the fishing scenes as well um, and, yeah did you did you learn to fish did you learn to use the we nets did, and stuff?
6: Actually, yeah um i mean a little bit no not really i i'm I'm vegan, so I don't fish. But mm-hmm. um, I did learn a lot about the netting and, and about how they would do it, and it was really interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping we wouldn't catch a fish while they're practicing. <laughs> the fish, <cheers> <laughs> me. <laughs>
6: yeah,
4: throw it straight back in.
2: Yeah. Um, so... You mentioned before that one of the interesting things about the project is that it gives um, a, a female voice to a very traditionally like male-heavy um, story. Um, was it important for you guys to, to kind of get those differing voices? Because you get Mary Magdalene, but also uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, plays a role, and you've got the, the women uh, that Jesus preaches to along the way.
4: I mean I mean I think, I think it's a very unique perspective on this story and mm-hmm. and I, th- I think one of the things that is exciting about the film is that we really humanize the characters mm-hmm. and we really see them as people and um, a- and you know we really f- feel the emotionality of the dilemmas that they 're all facing and and trying to embrace this uh, you know this situation where they know that Jesus is going to leave them mm-hmm. um, you know and and how they all grapple with that and um so I think it's a it's a very deeply human intimate story. Mm-hmm.
2: And and what way did you kind of choose to to portray the more religious elements of the story because um we see Jesus performing miracles and that kind of mm-hmm. thing but also mm-hmm. the the opening text that we see at the start of the film
0: mm-hmm.
2: um almost positions Jesus as a kind of like almost revolutionary leader mm-hmm. uh, and I thought it was interesting as well that it was
4: 33 CE for common mm-hmm. era rather mm-hmm. than AD.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Well I mean I think um I think because in our version of the story, we were definitely acknowledging that Jesus spent time with John the Baptist. And I Mm -hmm. think John the Baptist was like, uh, you know, um, a a very, very authentic prophet for, for, for for the, for the Jews. And so when Jesus came through, I think that that had very, very profound effect Mm -hmm. on the people. So he, he was the real deal. And I think, um, uh, I think you really get that feeling in, in the film that he had this weight and had this kind of hope. And especially the miracles, I think, um, you know, also fueled uh, you know, their passion for him.
2: And how much did you um, have to strike a balance between leaning into the spiritual side of, of the miracles mm. um, and the kind of utterly human side of, of these characters?
4: It's a really tricky thing to get right. Mm. And I couldn't have done it without Joaquin, you know, um, he, he just, he actually creates miracles it's it's kind of wild Mm -hmm. and the reason why he does it because he always does it from a place of empathy and love for the person opposite him and and when we're filming it you know he wasn't aware of the people who were coming into his space which he was healing in the scene Mm -hmm. but all he did was he connected with those people Mm -hmm. um in such a profound way and weirdly he found their he found their pain Mm -hmm. and those people realized he found you know he found their pain and these these very poignant moments happened between them Um, so yeah something very special happened Mm. in in the shooting of it
2: and really this is is your third time starring with with Joaquin from uh, her and we've got um, don't worry he won't get far on foot coming out soon as well Uh, what's it like acting opposite Joaquin and and how did you guys kind of bounce off each other
6: Um, yeah well uh, in Making Mary, it was our second time working together we worked together on her and you know we were good friends at that point so we knew each other pretty well Um, I mean working with him is just he's you know he's the Greatest actor I've ever worked with, for sure. And um, it's incredible. It's incredible to get to watch him and, and play opposite mm-hmm. him. It's really special.
2: So how, how did you go about casting Joaquin? I mean, when when you get the script and you think, we are going to have the unenviable task of casting Jesus, like, what do you look for in an actor to take on that part?
4: I was very determined to, to create a Jesus that was both human and divine. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to try and find a really complicated emotional performance. Um, So not someone that was just kind of reading parables and, and had this kind of almighty kind of feeling. I wanted someone that was struggling with his gift, um, who was charismatic, who was um, divine at times, um, got angry. So I wanted all of that diversity in the emotions. Um, And of course, Joaquin just came to my mind because he, he's just got this, he's like a portal, Mm -hmm. you know, he just has, he's like an emotional portal. He's very special. Um, So I just thought he would bring something so real to the role. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once he was in my mind, I I couldn't shake it. There was no one else.
2: (laughs) Did he kind of stay in that mode on set, or was there a really clear difference between kind of him being in the role on camera and and how he was on the the set and the crew?
6: Yeah, I mean, you can't stay. You can't (laughs) stay in this. It's like, you know, people are smoking and Mm -hmm. on their iPhones, and there's these ridiculous warming blankets on everyone. You know, there's... (laughs) There's only so much you can have to stay in it. In 2017.
2: <laughs> yeah, you didn't go go method in uh, in the shawls, I imagine. It looked really chilly on some of those beaches. It
6: was, it was very cold.
2: <laughs> um, I wanted to ask. Um, I, I know this must be still really fresh for you, but we were all genuinely devastated in the Empire Office to hear about um, Johan Johansson's passing. Um, and. I found it really emotional watching the film yesterday with that being kind of one of the final scores that he made a contribution to. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about what you think his music brings
4: to the film? <clears throat> well, uh, I think Johan's uh, Johann's focus on the film was to create the theme for The Mustard Seed, which was about ascension and about going to um, something outside of this earth, mm. uh, which is kind of very ironic and sad that, you know, this was potentially his final piece of music. Um, I think working with Johann and Hilda together, they really complemented each other. And um, you know, because Hilda had a very strong sense of Mary and the emotionality of what she was going through, um, and and then Johann brought this otherworldliness to it. So together, I thought it was pretty amazing. So it was like a spiritualism uh, in his in his contribution. You know, that I thought was uh, uh, you know very moving. And I think that made it even sadder for me that he passed because um, you know he, his final piece was about ascension. Mm-hmm very
2: kind of fitting almost in a way.
4: So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we were at the air studios um, and uh, I had this painting, a uh, picture that I was using as inspiration for everybody, which was two people standing looking to the light and these angels kind of multiplying, condensing towards the light. So we were trying to create this experience of going into light, you know, an energetic experience. And we had these beautiful vocalists that Johan had managed to get from Denmark and they were um, kind of uh, doing like an a acapella kind of experimental piece to kind of recreate that picture. And mm-hmm. as they're just going up and expressing themselves, um, you know, I got quite moved. I had a little tear, and I looked over, and he had a tear, and we're both looking at each other. And and um, you know, he was very committed emotionally. Mm-hmm. It was so. I just can't get that out of my head right now. Yeah.
2: Um, really, I, I wanted to ask you on a slightly uh, tangential note. Um, the the I absolutely love uh, David Fincher's Dragon Tattoo. Mm. Um we've heard recently that they're going to be continuing that, but from uh, the continuation of Steve Lawson's novels um, with, with Claire Foy, how, how do you feel about the fact that um, that it was only that single film in the end? Do you wish you'd had a chance to continue the trilogy? And do you have any clips for, uh, tips for Claire Foy uh, for taking on the amazing role of Lisbeth Salander?
6: Um, I don't think I have any tips. I think it's such a personal experience. It's, <laughs> such a, um, it's a huge undertaking playing that part. I don't I think it's just it's very personal but yeah of course i I had wanted to do more but you know it was a long time ago now and um at the end of the day i I don't think i would have wanted to to continue on without david and without you know it 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 was such a special experience making that film and um i don't know that after all that time if it wasn't the same team of people i think it would have been probably a huge letdown to continue on without that so um yeah, I would have loved to have done more, but it's just not—it's not what it wasn't in the cards.
2: Yeah, um, and in terms of what you guys have both got coming up, um, are you set to collaborate again with um, with The House in the Sky? And, and what can you tell us about that project?
4: Well, we're still we're still working on that. Yeah, um, and can't uh, talk about it. yeah, we can't talk about it—top <laughs> <Very>, secret <laughs> for now. Top secret. Thank you. Thank you. Very Thank much. you.
0: Okay, so that was Garth Davis and Rooney Mara. And we're not going to start with Mary Magdalene. Instead, we're going to start with a Netflix film that everyone is talking about, Alex Garland's Annihilation, uh, which opened in the States on cinema screens but was sold by its studio, Paramount, to Netflix and has wound up straight to Netflix in this country um, and opened everywhere on Monday. I haven't seen it, I've been too busy prepping for the awards, but John Nugent has. John
1: annihilation it's um this is the film that paramount's uh, reportedly said was too brainy for for cinemas and it is such a shame that we will not see it on the big screen because uh i think i think you can overstate it's an intelligent film it's a very Mm. smart sci-fi but uh i think i don't think it's inaccessible by any stretch
2: i'd say it's comparable um so something like Arrival, where yes. it is it is intelligent and it's emotional, um, it is an intelligence and emotional driven sci-fi, but it is not inaccessible by any means.
1: Yes, absolutely. So just very briefly, the, the, the plot-wise, it's um, there's there's a mysterious shimmer, as they as they call it, appears in, the, in this area of Florida, um, and uh, uh, Natalie Portman is a, a biology professor whose husband disappears into the shimmer, only to return very different. And so she heads into a team, uh, heads into the Shimmer with a, with a team of uh, a mixture of scientists and soldiers, five all women team, um, to investigate this very strange place where things aren't quite what they seem. Things are getting sort of refracted. People, people's DNA is changing, mutating and mutating. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> they, really, it's really curious. Um, and it, 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 it it's a firstly it's a very beautiful film the cgi is gorgeous it's very creative and inventive
2: there's all sorts of strange uh textures and colors there's like a constant well fittingly for the shimmer there's like a constant sort of rainbow tinge of of colors so like even just little reflections in the water or just tinges in the air of these kind of beautiful but quite muted rainbow colors and it it constantly kind of catches your eye um there, there are some amazing kind of big uh well, landscape shots as, as they head into this kind of mysterious area of, of the coastline. Mm. Um, it's interesting, Alex Garland um, has been quite vocal about the fact that he's he's not too happy that a lot of people are going to end up seeing this just on Netflix. And it is, even comparable to other Netflix films, really difficult to track down in the cinema. Uh, but when you watch it, you really do understand his point where he said, I, I shot it to be seen on a big screen. And mm. it has, it is largely shot on these big wide takes where the characters are quite small in the frame because they're dwarfed by the uh by the environment of the of the shimmer that's part of the kind of look of the film um i watch it on a 42 inch tv which is pretty standard but i still found myself kind of almost leaning in because you want to see more it's a shame that a lot of people aren't going to see this on the big screen because it is really spectacular
1: yeah and it's it's so it's it's so clever that. the some of the things it sneaks in there's a lot of stuff about self-destruction depression uh, really sensitive issues grief and uh, dealing with terminal illness uh, all 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 of these things are, are exactly the sort of thing that science fiction should be you know discussing and talking about and presenting in unusual ways uh, it's it's really it's it's almost everything i want from a science fiction film it's just challenging and exciting and interesting and weird very weird places i have
2: to say i know i know this is a huge claim and i don't say this without thinking about it but the the direction it goes in in the last kind of 30 minutes or so genuinely i was like i this the thing this most closely reminds me of is 2001 Mm. that kind of metaphysical kind of if you if you ask me on a surface level what was happening I wouldn't have been able to tell you. But on an emotional level and on a level with what is happening with the characters, you understand it through the visual language of the storytelling. Mm. It looks mm. incredible and it does some things in in some of these final sequences that I, I haven't seen and it was beautiful and unsettling. And I, I watched it last night and I've been thinking about it all day.
0: I'm really excited about this. Five stars. Love, Alex Garland. Uh, right, up next we have Mary Magdalene. Ben,
2: yeah so this is garth davis's follow-up to lion which was a kind of really lovely emotional uh story uh and this is uh, re-teaming him with rudy mara who takes the lead here as mary magdalene who um if you don't know your bible story she was kind of cast by the church uh, as basically a prostitute who slept with Jesus in his last few months but she is one of the few people in the bible who is kind of mentioned repeatedly by name more than a lot of the other um disciples in the gospels but she is being kind of painted in this light of being a sinner a sinful prostitute who was redeemed by Jesus so this is kind of telling the story from her point of view uh, with Whacking Phoenix as Jesus in his kind of last few months and as he comes into contact with Mary Magdalene and their sort of relationship, not in that sense, in the sense that The Church of want you to think. It's a tricky film. I uh, would struggle to say that I particularly enjoyed watching it. It's quite slow and ponderous. And for me, um, I think it's definitely a worthwhile pursuit to offer like a different take on on mary magdalene especially if she's been wrongly painted in this in this light for for genuinely hundreds of years Um, but for me it didn't really get under the skin of that character i felt like she was still really passive in the story and it didn't offer much insight into her thoughts or how her time following jesus affected her and I think it stood out quite a bit that uh, you see quite a strong arc of Jesus and Judas in the in the run up to the betrayal. This uh, it shows it in the trailer. So it, this goes right up to the crucifixion of Jesus because yeah. Mary Magdalene was the I think the first person who saw Jesus mm-hmm. after he rose from the dead, and then um, she was the one who kind of relayed it to the other disciples. They're so like, hey. You might yeah. want to know this. So um yeah, the the for me the the Judas story was really fleshed out in a way It's a Taharahim, yeah. Tahahim yeah. as Judas. In a way that Mary Magdalene's wasn't. And there are a couple of scenes dotted through that do bring a sort of female perspective on this story to the forefront, which is is a really good idea because it's such a male heavy story and it's always been viewed through the lens as being a male heavy story but for me it just didn't work in the long run i found it really yeah like i said ponderous and i have to say i really did not get on board with joaquin phoenix's jesus which jesus yeah rather than portraying jesus in a very human sense he is shown as this kind of uh Christ-like figure, yeah. christ-like figure in a way that doesn't for me make him engaging he do you know what he comes across as the worst guy who's left at the end of the party who is just like <laughs> saying random things into the ether
0: and uh yeah he's not somebody that i want to he should launch a with. podcast yeah. <laughs> um all right then three stars in for mary magdalene and then finally let's finish off with the new tomb raider alicia ficander is Lara Croft raiding Mm. those tombs once again. Walton Goggins, Dominic West, all that goodness. Uh, It's been a while. In fact, we've maybe never had a good video game adaptation on the big screen, Uh, John Nugent, and I can see the single tear rolling down your cheek indicates that that way continues. I'm afraid so. Yes, this is not the one to break the video game
1: movie curse. Uh, They gave it a good shot. They gave it a good shot. So this is obviously, you know, the new... Laura Croft they're trying to escape the memory of the Angelina Jolie uh, movies which were you know i mean they weren't great but uh, I, they had a sense of fun about them i suppose this one does not have as much of a sense of fun i think they're going for that sort of gritty christopher nolan grounded re- realism vibe uh, and i don't know that they really hit it in fact there are there are quite a lot of this film that's remarkably cheesy um there's a there's a scene right at the start where laura is in like some bicycle race around east london for no reason that i could see i i think i think they were trying to sell her as this you know hip young uh cool hipster laura croft as opposed to the, the 90s laura croft yeah, Shrugging off the Laura Croft in a big family mansion with the butler in the fridge. Exactly. Channel, kind of She's thing. living in a bedsit in Shoreditch. She's cool. There, There is a line where she goes, I, I'm not that kind of Croft, you know, and she almost looks at the camera. Um, <laughs> Winking right into the audience. Yeah, and, and also she says it in a vaguely Swedish accent as well. But um, but that's not to disparage Alicia Verkander, who is actually very good. Um, for given what she's got, she's you know we've seen her in so many films being fantastic. Uh, her credentials are secure, but this film it, it just it's just quite dull. I'm afraid. It, so it's adapting um, the game of the same name. It was rebooted, I think, in 2003. Of 2013. Um, 2013. Beg your pardon. And uh, it's that was a very good video game, um, mm-hmm. and it did a lot of the work in re-establishing Lara Croft and making her more realistic and less of a, you know, masturbatory fantasy for teenage Mm -hmm. boys, which is what she originally was. They take that as the template, I suppose, and there's a lot of the elements of that game have, have made it to the screen. But it's just quite dull. I'm sorry, it's just not that exciting. It's very bland and generic. Um, it's it's ripping off Indiana Jones left, right, and center, which, you know, I know this franchise is always cribbed from, from that franchise, but it feels very derivative. There is uh, very little sort of invention or excitement, um, and
2: I was just kind of bored by it. I'm <laughs> I, I think I, I haven't seen the new Tomb Raider. I'm uh, hopefully going to try and go and see it um, this weekend, but... Um, I think one of the things that's really difficult with adapting these games is that you take a game like the, like the 2013 Tomb Raider or like the Uncharted series, which is often tipped as like, ooh, a possible game-to-film adaptation, mm-hmm. but what those games do and what they do really well is taking the experience of a film blockbuster yeah, and right. turning that into a gameplay experience. That it, It's not necessarily pushing the boundaries of what you'd see in a blockbuster film. Mm-hmm. It is, it's it's taking that and making it playable and making it interactive and i think there is an issue you, that's why you look at those games and go this should be inherently cinematic but actually when you try and take those set pieces and turn them back into film set pieces i don't know if there's enough there that sets it apart from other action franchises because mm. that's not what the games are trying to do they're not trying to outdo Mission Impossible or Fast and Furious or Indiana Jones-style set pieces. They're trying to adapt those in a way that works for a video game. And I think readapting those from a game into a film isn't necessarily the best way to go. Mm-hmm. It feels
1: like it's its very, very pacey and it's very... I guess it's competent, the action, but I don't really care
4: about so what's happening. <laughs> I,
1: know, I know, this is uh, faint praise indeed. But it, it, it it's just... The action just it just doesn't mean anything and, I, and it leaves the sense of when it does stop, because it is relentless these, the sort of 10% where they actually just sit and talk, is just like a video game cutscene, you know, it just has the sense that the whole thing is a, a filmed video game and that doesn't really work for cinema, unfortunately.
0: Alright, so two stars then, as John Nugent said, he reviewed it uh, both in the magazine and online, and now here as well. Multi-platform Multi-platform Nugent, that's what we call him Mm-hmm. It's not the catchiest nickname, but go with it. Also, out this week are two slightly contrasting movies. There is Peter Rabbit, the adaptation of the beloved Beatrix Potter a character voiced by the equally beloved James Corden. Uh, we gave that one three stars. Paddington 2, it is not, although it has hugely outstripped Paddington 2 at the US box office, uh, for which I will never forgive it. Uh, also out is the new film from Force Mishura director Ruben Ostland. It is called The Square. It is a satire set within the art world stars Clash Bang, Elizabeth Moss, Dominic West and Terry Notary. Uh, and we gave that one four stars. Four stars for that. It sounds to me like Annihilation is the one that... People should be watching this week if they want to do that. If they want I to settle down so, yes. on their sofas and watch a bit of Annihilation, and that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by Leslie Mann, star of Blockers. Uh, a very fun interview. I managed to spit on her, which was not in the Jamie Carragher styley, and uh, it was a first. And it was it was horrifying. And I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> uh, because she took it in very good grace. And who else are we going to be joined by? We may be joined by Paddy Considine, uh, writer, director and star of the fantastic boxing drama, well, it's not a boxing drama, it's by so much more than that, uh, Journeyman. So keep them peeled, keep them peeled indeed for next week's podcast. Uh, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from John Nugent. Goodbye. No, 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 I said John Nugent. No, I, goodbye. goodbye. Hang on. Yeah, that, what? Am I not John Aren't you, I John?
2: Thought, I think I'm... Which one's Ben? Oh, wait, I think I'm Ben. He's... You're Ben. I'm
0: Ben. Why didn't you say so? I, I I'm as
2: confused as everyone else is.
0: This whole episode, I've been... <sighs> all right, okay, we'll, we'll, we're going to start the whole podcast again. Because, frankly, <laughs> it's been a little bit confusing, and I've been calling you by the wrong name, Jeff, all the way through the podcast. That's, okay, let's just... Tell you what, we'll just do the outro again. Until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from... Oh, it's gone. Jack. Jack. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Bob? Oh, um, Jimmy. Yeah. New, New, <laughs> Jeremiah Nubijibidimimim. Yes, goodbye. 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 Goodbye from him. And it's goodbye as well from uh, Bar- Barney? <laughs> Barney <laughs> Tavistock. Bar- Barney Tavistock. That'll do. There you go. There you go. It's goodbye from John. It's goodbye from Ben. Of course, I knew their names. It was just a bit of... It was, uh, it was just a comedic bit of business. What a, just a oh, oh. Um, And it's goodbye from me. I am off to prepare for the Rakuten TV Empire Awards 2018 with special star guest of honour, Signor Spielbergo. Gulp. Oh, Jesus. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.